If you're here this morning, you have stepped into a sermon series titled Discovering Your Gift. And we are in week three of this sermon series. I encourage you, if this is your first week, to go back and listen to the first two parts. And this morning, I want to get right into it because I do have a lot that I want to cover. First thing I want to do is give a very brief overview of what we went over last week. And that was, first of all, laying the groundwork. There are really three different types of spiritual gifts. We have what I have called the gift of action. That is the gift that God gives to each of us that inspires us to do something. And action is a verb. It is something we do. And we talked about the fact that there are gifts of belonging. In other words, we belong to the body. And so there is a place that our action is supposed to work itself out. And then third, we see the gift of miracles. And that is uh, what we'll look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 next week. This morning, we're going to look at the gift of belonging. I want to quickly go over the action gifts again from last week. We saw, and you'll find these in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We saw the action gift of prophecy, and this is not necessarily the gift of foretelling the future, but it is the gift of being able to hear from God a word that is relevant to the day and to the time, sometimes to the very minute, and relaying that word to the specific people that God wants that word spoken to. And there is no doubt there is a need for that in every day, in every time, and in every society, and that there is a great need for that in the body of Christ today. And so this this action gift of prophecy is something that is active even in the church today. It's not necessarily the foretelling of future, but hearing from God, the word for God's people, and relating that word. We saw that the negative side of the gift is that sometimes people with this action gift of prophecy can come across as having little mercy and little grace. A lot of times these people are not very social people. We saw ministering or serving was another action gift. And this is the divine enablement to to attach spiritual value to physical labor that helps advance the kingdom. And that these people just want to help anywhere they can help. It doesn't really matter what they're helping with as long as what they're helping with advances the kingdom. These people are, in my opinion... I don't want to say any gift is more needed than another, but we need more of these people than we do any other gift. Because uh, you think about a, an army, for example. An army is going to have generals. It's going to have people at the highest level. But who really does the work? Those that are out on the front lines serving. That's, that's who really accomplishes the work. And without the multitudes of those people, nothing gets done. You can have the greatest generals and the greatest leaders ever to exist as uh, belonging to the army, but if they have nobody to help them accomplish their plans and the things they see, the army's powerless. And so these people who have this gift of ministry and service are so vital to the church. One of their downfalls, one of the negatives of this particular action gift is that often these people are afraid to speak up They just want instructions, right? They don't like to lead. They want someone else to lead them. And a lot of times, because of their experience, they will know the answer, but would rather kind of shrink back and just let someone else lead. And they have to guard against that. We saw teaching uh, is listed here as an action in Romans chapter 12. And teaching is different from prophecy in the sense of teaching is mainly trying to discover the facts and accurately relay the facts. People with the gift of teaching, their question they ask is, what is true, how did you get that, and why? The negative side is that sometimes these people tend to lose practical application in real life in their pursuit to simply uncover the facts. We saw exhortation, this divine gift, to come alongside people and encourage them, to lift them up, and and to speak uh, words into their life that give that, that create faith in them. That is typically the, the goal of someone whose gift is exhortation is to stir faith inside of who they are exhorting. The negative side for people that have this gift is that often they tend to think it's possible 
to encourage people out of every sin. And that with enough encouragement, eventually we will see behaviors change. And sometimes uh, the, the Bible teaches us that there is a need for a fear of God. And people who see through that lens of encouragement, they have a hard time relating with being motivated by fear. And so they're always just trying to encourage change and uh, have a difficult time often with that prophetic side, which is more of repent or else. We saw giving. Giving's the divine enablement to earn money, manage it well, and wisely contribute it to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and liberality. These people have the ability to sincerely, accurately see that what they give really does influence the kingdom. Last week I forgot to give the negative side of this gift and I had somebody that this is their gift come to me afterwards and say, hey, this is, this is my gift, but you left us hanging. You know, what's the negative side of the gift? And uh, I'm glad that he came in and told me that. The negative side of this gift with people whose true motivational action gift is giving is that often they will feel like they can wipe their, their hands, of, clean their hands of the responsibility to do anything else because they gave what nobody else could give. And the truth is, just because you're able to give does not mean that you shouldn't be giving of your time helping in other areas, and of your talents helping in other areas. And so that's, if that's your ministry gift, you have to guard against thinking that, well, I wrote a check that nobody else should write, was able to write, and therefore somebody else should serve in the soup kitchen. No, it's all about giving, and so you have to guard against that. We saw leadership, the, the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, to set goals, to attract and lead and motivate people to accomplish the work of the ministry. Leadership, being able to see how we need to get from point A to point B and how we together can do that and effectively making that happen. The negative side of this particular gift is that sometimes these people can forget the one main goal, which is loving God and loving people. That can get lost in the little goals. And when it gets lost in the little goals, they can become, they can tend to be and come across as rude, un, uncaring, unloving. And so people with the gift of leadership, especially in the context of Christianity and in the context of the study, people with this ministry gift, the spiritual gift of leadership, have to remember the ultimate goal is loving God and loving people. And so we're not using people to accomplish a goal. We are loving people and loving God together to get to that goal. And then we saw the, divine, the, the action gift of mercy. And this is the enablement to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people who are suffering and undeserving and to spare them from the punishment or consequences justly deserved. It's often the ability to identify with and comfort those who are in distress. People with the gift of mercy, as the gift of encouragement, I want to create faith in somebody. The gift of mercy, my primary motivation is to take away the pain. And they're both, they're kind of like cousins, but they have a different goal. Mercy says, you're hurting, and I want to take away the hurt. Whatever it takes to take away the pain, I want to help with that. The negative side of people with mercy, uh, that have the action gift of mercy, uh, in all honesty, a lot of times they're not very good with discipline. Uh, Even with their own kids, because the goal is mercy. The goal is, you deserve punishment, but I don't want to see you get the punishment. Often these people get in bad relationships in an attempt to rescue someone. And a lot of times people with this gift of mercy find themselves in dysfunctional relationships. These people have a hard time allowing people to feel the pain that sometimes they need to feel to be motivated to change. And so that's the negative side of that gift that you have to um, kind of guard yourself against. This week, we're going to look at the gift of what I call the gift of belonging to the body. And with that, we're going to open up in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to ask that you would please stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 through 16 because I want to read the entire text. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, now look at this phrase, and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, look at our text in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we want to say thank you for your presence, for your spirit moving in our hearts already. We want to say thank you for your word as a guide to us, Lord. God, this morning we come in sincere desire to know your word and to understand your word. So, God, I pray for a few things. Number one, that you would anoint me to properly and rightly divide the word of truth this morning. God, that you would help me, Lord, to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, but I also pray that you help us as your people to hear your word, and to see how it applies to us as a church, as a whole, and how it applies to us as individuals in the church. God, finally, I pray, Lord, this morning, if there be anybody in this place that isn't saved, God, you know who those men or women are, who that boy or girl is, you know. God, we pray that today they would come to know you and turn to you and run to you find salvation in Jesus Christ. God, let us lift you up. Have your way this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I go any further this morning, I want to say that the gifts of the Spirit is a big topic. As people, we typically like things to be very easy to understand because it helps us feel like there's no margin of error and we've got it right. I am about 99.9% confident that I don't have it all right. (laughs) I am confident, though, that I have it right enough that I feel safe teaching it. And what you need to know is that what we're going through, what we have gone through, and what we will go through is my honest best attempt to take a difficult subject and try to bring clarity to it so that you can understand it in a better way and begin to apply it to your life. But my name is Joplin Emerson. It is not Moses. It is not Jesus. And so, you need to be willing to study for yourself 
the things that I teach. And that's true in everything I teach, but especially in a subject as big as this. There are great men of God that God has used and anointed that I have learned from, that I read, that I study, that see this thing differently than I do. I don't profess to have it all figured out, and I think it's important that you know that. What I want to do is try to clarify as much as possible this subject that can kind of be muddy and foggy so that it's easier to understand and you can figure out how you apply it to your life. So last week we looked at the reality that the the gifts in Romans chapter 12 are verbs. They are things that we do. What I want us to see is that we see here gifts or places or offices where these action gifts can work themselves out. There are six places that are mentioned in either 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28 or Ephesians chapter 11 that we read through here. I'm going to go through them quickly. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and or teachers, administrators, and in Romans chapter 12, we see the word helps. It's it's tied to this idea of service. This morning, I want to go through quickly what these offices are, and I want us to see that these particular offices encompass everything the church does. There is nothing that the church, the body of Christ does, nothing that it does, that does not fall into one of these six categories. And so, and then we'll look at how does your action gift work itself in there. Because somebody might be saying, hey, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an administrator, and I don't really know where helps fits in, and so I'm not any of these things. Hold on, pay attention, and hopefully by the time we're done, some things will begin to make sense. I was thinking as I was talking about you know, encouraging you guys to go home and study. We looked at the teaching gift last week. Probably all those with the teaching gift have already done that. <laughs> they, they showed up this morning with like six questions. Pastor, you better answer this one. You better answer this one. That was, that was not so much for you teachers, uh, that command, but it was for the rest of you that aren't. I want to note that Paul spoke in Ephesians chapter... He's the one who wrote Ephesians chapter 4. He's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, Romans chapter 12. And we find all of these gifts mentioned through Paul's writings. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter breaks down these gifts basically into two categories. Speaking and ministry. And what we have to do is take the Bible as a whole take all of it that's there and try to find a way to bring it together and, 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 and see how it all fits. So this morning, let's do something quickly and let's go through the offices mentioned here. First, he gave some to be apostles. Yes, there are still apostles today. But you have to understand what the Bible means by apostles. There are two basic types. First, we have the, what I will call, New Testament apostles. Now, these you'll find in Ephesians chapter 2. These men had to be men who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of, to the resurrected Christ. Paul, who was alive during that time, was actually an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ when Christ met him on the road to Damascus you will see throughout the book of Acts other men who also fit that that category of being alive and witnesses to the resurrected Christ, also called apostles. These were the men who were gifted with the call to launch the New Testament church. So what they spoke, what they taught, their doctrine had authoritative ability to provide revelation of what the New Testament church is and believes, and ultimately this is where we got the New Testament Bible. Now, unless 
There's one of them who somehow has lived over 2,000 years and is still alive. That particular office of what I will call New Testament apostle is no longer there. All right, so there isn't anybody out there with that ability to provide authoritative revelation of God that can be classified as Scripture. But the word apostle is not really that big. You want to know what it means? One who is sent. That's what the word means. In fact, that's why they were called apostles. Jesus sent them to go into the world and make disciples. That's what the word means. An apostle was somebody gifted with the ability to go places and launch churches. That's what made Paul really an apostle. He'd go to this town. He had the ability to to go to the town, evangelize, preach, build the church, pastor the church, launch it, and then what'd he do? He'd go to the next town, do the same thing. And he'd go to the next town and do the same thing. And so in in the purest sense of the word apostles... It simply means somebody who God sends for the primary purpose of launching or starting a work. And you better believe there are lots of those folks still in the church today that God uses to go and launch and start ministries. And somebody with this ministry gift, this place of belonging in the body of apostleship, most of the time they have to know or have to be equipped to operate in most of the gifts. It's going to be very difficult to be an apostle, as Paul was, and go to a city and not possess the gift of evangelism. How are you going to build a church if you can't evangelize and win anybody to the Lord? And then in addition to that, after that, going to have to have this, this gift of pastoring and teaching because now that you've evangelized and now that you've won people in, and so there's this process of having to build something so that the church can function. We see this ministry gift in our day and time used in a sense of spiritual entrepreneurs who launch things. They plant churches. They birth missions outreaches. and, and, And here's what I want you to see. In every one of these places of belonging, you need to understand there are a lot of different Shades. Don't think of it in the sense of red, blue, or green. Is it blue or is it red? There are lots of shades of blue. There are lots of shades of red. So it is with these offices. And we're going to see that, for example, with pastoring later, teaching. The same is true. Somebody might be called in that sense of, like Paul was, in the sense of going places that nobody has gone taking the gospel there and building a church there. You better believe that is, in the sense of the word, apostleship. Not New Testament apostles where they're coming and bringing new revelation that's authoritative as Scripture, but in the true sense of the word, one who is sent of God to launch and build the church, it happens. And when somebody somebody is called to that, That might be, for example, the highest level of it, right? So they're going to go to a place nobody's ever been and launch a church. But it's also another shade of it for somebody within a church that already exists to be able to look and say, you know what? We don't have a women's ministry in this place, and I see how it can happen. Here's what needs to happen, and here's how this needs to work. And, and, and And they have this ability to move forward and start and launch and develop something that wasn't developed yet. And in, in, in one sense, that w- that's what I would call a shade of the office there of apostleship. We also see, not, he gave some apostles, some prophets. We see prophets mentioned regularly in the book of Acts. And we even see prophetesses, that would be a girl prophet, mentioned in the book of Acts. Again, this is that that place of being able to hear from God and relay what God has to say. And you can see how the action gifts, 
someone whose primary motivation might be mercy, could still at times within the church stand up and speak something that falls into this category. It would be my opinion that what we just experienced earlier with Brother Jason Thomas standing up is a similar um, way that that works itself out, right? He's not predicting the future. He didn't get up and say, three years from now, this thing will happen. But, and, and Jason will tell you his primary motivational gift, it probably isn't prophecy. It's something else. But that office there within the body, we see him function in that at that time and in that place. Now we see evangelism. Evangelism is the ability to unusually to be an unusually effective instrument in leading unbelievers to a saving knowledge of Christ. This place within the church, again, many shades. To be an evangelist doesn't mean that you decide you're going to go on the road full-time and preach revivals year-round. It might. That's a form of evangelism. One-on-one evangelism with people at your work is also evangelist. And we, in this culture, especially the American culture, we have been trained to simply see one office. Pastor is somebody who is over an entire church and leads a church. That's what a pastor is. Well, that is one thing that a pastor could be. And if somebody's in that position, they are certainly pastor. But pastoring is much bigger than that, as we're about to see. The same is true with evangelist. Evangelism is, is, is absolutely crucial to the church. It's how we take the message of the gospel and get it out to the world. And how we do that has many different tenets. See what I'm saying? It's not really red or blue. There are lots of ways that the church, the body of Christ, takes evangelism to a lost and dying world. Next, we see the idea of pastor. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4, some pastors and teachers, that is actually one word. It is not two words. Some pastors, some teachers. It is one word. And what it really means, the one word that most ties to the word used here is the word shepherd. Pastor, teacher. It's a person with the spiritual gift to lead, nourish, protect, and personally care for the need for the needs of a flock of believers. Not all people who have this place of belonging in the church necessarily have the title pastor behind their name inside the congregation. Let's look at what do shepherds do. Shepherds protect, lead, guide, and feed. That's what shepherds do. Those four main things are what shepherds do. They protect, they lead, guide, and feed. That's what shepherds do. I sure hope I'm not the only one doing that in this church. And let me say more candidly, I know for a fact I'm not the only one doing that in this church. In all reality, you look at those terms, right? Protect, lead, guide, and feed. I can do that to some capacity with with my teaching, but there's a certain level of hands-on that's involved with shepherding. And let's just be honest, I can't do that with 250 people. It's not physically possible. Imagine if I met with all of you once a year. You realize it would take me 250 days just to get through everybody once? Let me tell you something. You need more hands-on shepherding than that. And so we see this idea of pastoring, right? And the truth about pastoring, you go back to the action gifts, the things that motivate somebody. I personally pastor out of this passion, the action gift of prophecy. I love seeking God, hearing from God, and taking what God has put in my heart and relaying it to the people. And I love, I I am moved, I I am activated by stuff that's relevant to today. That's just who I am. And I take that gift and it works itself out 
in my pastoring, see? Where somebody might have the gift of mercy, and their primary goal is to take away pain and and to help people realize that God is a God of mercy. And we talked about last week, God's actually a God of all those action gifts. None of us can be all of them perfectly. And that's why we should be what God's called us to be. And when we do it together, we become the image of God as the body of Christ. That's how it's supposed to work. But you'll see pastoring and teaching in various forms. It's done in small group discipleship. It can be done in you know, groups of two or three. It's, it's that person that has, has this ability to see that either this group of people or this person needs some help. They need to be protected. They need to be guided. They need some leadership. They need to be fed spiritually. And I'm going to take the ownership of that for the purpose of helping. That's pastoring. And there are a lot of you in here, you do that, and you would never think of what you're doing as pastoring. And you're sitting around saying, what's my action gift, and where do I belong in the body? And, and you don't have any idea you're really doing it well, but this false perception of it's not red or it's not blue, and you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to be, it, it's caused confusion. And so my prayer is that, that you begin to see that the body, we all just work together. And there are indeed the highest offices in these places that, where we have pastors or elders that have authority within the church. But that doesn't mean that under shepherds, I mean, Christ is the ultimate shepherd. What did He do with the church? He made under shepherds. And we should take that example and realize, to some degree, many of you function in that capacity. I watched a situation um, uh, last week. It was beautiful as it unfolded where... It was impromptu, there was, no, there was no pre-planning about it, but there was a brother um, that was just discouraged. And as he was leaving the church, another brother wrapped his arm around him and said, hey, how you doing? And they sat there and talked, and there was this, this encouragement that was going on, and they prayed together, and, and, and the man left encouraged. And I thought, you know, that's how the body's supposed to work. And you don't have to have a title that says, hey, you are the uh, pastor of, you know, whatever, before you can function in that position of pastoring people. And so pastoring in that sense of God gave some pastors is to protect, lead, guide, and feed people. Here we see teachers mentioned. Teachers is mentioned separately in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I think verse 28. Again, teachers have this divine ability to understand and give a detailed explanation of the facts. We see there is a place within the church, there is a place for teaching the facts. These people help keep the rest of us true. That way some Joseph Smith doesn't stand up and say, oh, I'm a prophet. And God told me that we're all supposed to marry each other's wives. You don't have a teacher that's willing to stand up as his gift and say, well, hold on a second. The Word of God says that God made man and woman. And when Jesus talked about marriage, it was always between a man and a woman. And every time in the Bible when it talks about a man and his wife, it doesn't talk about a man and his wives. And, and, and so the teacher stands up and says, nope, hold on a second prophet or whoever you think you are that's hearing from God, these are the facts. And if what you're saying and what you're telling us is with line up with the facts, it isn't God. And there is a place within the body and a great need within the body for that gift and that position of our teachers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, we see the office of administration or leadership. This is the spiritual gift of administration at managing the operations and affairs of the church. Not everybody that has been gifted with an action gift that finds itself being fulfilled in the pastorate uh, or in evangelism or in some um, ministry, not everybody's good at administrating. Some 
probably most, especially as a church grows, need help with administration. That is an actual gift, an actual position within the body of Christ, administrators. These are leaders. These are people who are able to say, okay, I might not be the preacher, I might not be the evangelist, but I do see there's a great need here. And if this ministry is going to go and it's going to grow and it's going to get bigger, there needs to be some order here and there needs to be some order here and there needs to be some order here. And they step into that role of position within the body of helping orchestrate the operations of the church. And then we also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, the office of helps. This is the ability to enhance the effectiveness of the ministry of other members of the body. I would say that most people, not all, but most people whose action gift is serving will find themselves involved somewhere here where it's about helping. Now here's what I want us to see before I move on any further this morning. Everything that I just mentioned... Everything encompasses everything the church does. Apostleship, starting and launching new ministries. Evangelism, that's taking the word of God to the lost and winning the lost. We see the prophetic space where God himself has this this divine ability to speak directly to his body a word of direction and instruction or rebuke or encouragement to His people. We see teaching. It's something we need to grow as Christians. We see administration. That's going to be the orchestration of everything that I just talked about. And then we see the office of helps, and that is everybody getting involved some way in helping the church do what the church does. Not Crossway Church, the body of Christ. All of it is meant to be done with the focus on pointing people's view to Christ. It's lifting up Christ. That's what evangelism is. That's what any great teaching will do. That's ultimately what a word of prophecy will do. It'll tune our senses into Christ. It'll turn us back to God if it's truly the word of God. It's about elevating God. You see... I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping, and I know most of our people on our, I know all of our people on our uh, worship team very well. I've known most of them for many years now. And what I see is many of them are motivated. You go back to the action gifts that we looked at, many of them are motivated differently. I'm just going to give an example. There might be one whose primary motivation is encouragement. So they love to encourage people. And worship is really part of pastoring. It really is. Worship is part of pastoring, leading God's people in the worship of God with their life. It's part of pastoring. That's why it's not necessarily mentioned as a different gift. And I could literally spend weeks showing all the subcategories that fall within pastoring or evangelism. And I'm not going to do that. I want to try to keep it as simple as possible. But somebody might be functioning in that area of pastoring through worship... And their primary motivational gift is encourage. And while they're up there playing, they're just trying to encourage people. Somebody else might be doing the same thing, but their primary motivation is giving. And they see giving of themselves and giving of their talents and giving of their times as a way to glorify the body. And so the motivation that really moves them to action, where they, they really they, they, they have this feeling of fulfillment, I'm doing what God's called me to do. They could be on the same stage, doing the same thing, playing the same song, and have two different motivations, and both of them are working out their action gift inside their place of belonging, and in this sense of worship, it is, it is help in pastoring us as a people. It's leading us into worship. I hope that made sense somehow, the way that I tried to get that out. These are the things that the whole church does together. And we have to be careful not to see these things, as I said, in one shade. It's not just blue, but many shades of blue. Your gift of action 
is meant to be deployed somewhere in these places or in the furtherance of these ministries. I'm going to use an easy example that will help us at least start thinking of it this way. And so we have the person whose action gift is giving. And they're saying, well, what office do do I fulfill in that? I'm not an administrator. I don't really see helps. And, And as your brain's working, you're probably thinking, oh, actually, yeah, that's right where that goes. And you're right. But they're thinking, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an apostle, I'm not an evangelist. And so how does that work itself out in the body? What I want you to see is, is that the person with the ministry gift, the action gift of giving, the spiritual gift of giving, that person, they might not be the evangelist, but they see that the work of this evangelistic group is furthering the gospel. And they see the needs of the group, and they say, I have the financial ability to meet that need. And so they write and help that need. They might also see the need of the church. They might also see the need of that apostolic ministry starting, and they say, hey, we're going to start with that. They might see, they might be able to see that, you know what, administratively, this church needs this or it needs that, and I'm not the administrator, but if the reason they don't have it is because they're not able to fund it, I can help fund it. And so that person, not necessarily functioning in the office of any of those, plays a role in helping all those things come to pass. I want to submit to you that while we all have a primary action gift that really motivates us, and sometimes two, where that action gift works itself out will change. It will fluctuate. Sticking with our role of giving, just because someone's gift is giving and they've helped give and, and launch uh, you know, a, 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 a new church in Haiti, doesn't mean that that's the only place they're going to use their action gift the rest of their life is in helping new missions. The same is true with somebody whose gift, for example, is encouragement. That person might find that it finds itself fulfilled in the actual place of pastor and they, and, and they, and they are leading a church. But they also might find that uh, it's, it's fulfilled in helping a group of people that do evangelism. Let's give an, an example. Imagine that I'm discouraged and I'm just thinking, man, this is tough. I'm not sure how much further I can go. And one of the things about the people with the gift of encouragement, the action gift of encouragement, and the action gift of mercy, both of, both of those people tend to have a very keen awareness of when people are suffering. They're the type of people that we're all 12, 12 of us hanging out, having a good time, right? Everybody's getting along and we're talking about stuff. And then we dismiss and you're walking out with somebody that has that gift of encouragement or mercy and they're like, Man, did, did you notice Joplin was really struggling? And someone without that gift is thinking, no, what are you talking about? He's normal to me. No, I, I just, there's something that seemed different about him. They tend to have a very keen awareness. Now imagine that, so I'm pastoring, right? And this is, I'm working in that office of feeding the sheep and tending and guiding and protecting and trying to lead. And I'm discouraged and I'm thinking about, oh, I'm not real sure I can do this anymore. Someone with the gift of encouragement catches on to that, pulls me to the side and says, listen, you need to know you are doing awesome. And what you're saying has been so encouraging. And my life is different because of your work there. And whatever you do, you need to know you're making a difference. And that boost of confidence to me is what I need to say, you know what? These thoughts I've been having are silly. These are foolish. What in the world am I thinking? I'm not going to stop doing this. This is what God's called me to do. Let's get the gloves back on and fight. Now, that person who used their action gift of encouragement helped what happened in the church. They helped further the ministry of pastoring. See what I'm saying? And so my question to us and to me and to you is, once I begin to discover what is my gift, you know, what is my action gift, what am I motivated, how do I use that in the body? How do I use that to help with missions, evangelism, apostolic work, launching new things. How, do, how do, is it possible for me to use it there? How do I use it in helping 
pastor the church? How do I use it in helping with the administration of the church? How do I use it in the very general sense of helping? Remember I talked about earlier, you've got an army that's worthless if you don't have a lot of people to accomplish the goals. The same is true with helps. I really believe God calls, has to call more, vast amount of people, more into the simple ministry of helps. Like, hey, what needs done? Let's do this thing, and I will use my, my action gift that I'm motivated to do anywhere I can find that it will help. This morning, as I close, I'm going to go ahead and ask our worship team to come, and I want to close with this thought. The first thing I want to say is that if you are newly saved, and maybe even if you're not, this will apply to you. If you're just kind of new in your faith, you might be thinking, man, I'm not real sure what my action gift is. Well, I didn't know what mine was for quite some time. Sometimes we learn by being willing to try. Remember I gave that example of, I gave that example of myself last week where I, I, I attempted uh, youth ministry and it just, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. It just felt, I didn't feel, what I the, the truth is, what I was motivated to say, I knew wasn't what they needed to hear. Now, that's conflict, isn't it? And it's not that, and, and this is a great example of how pastoring or evangelism what, how, or prophecy, whatever vein you're talking about, it's not always blue. It might work itself out in ministry to young children. It might work itself out in ministry to youth. It might work itself out in the prison system. It might work itself out in one-on-one evangelism on streets. And it might work itself out in pastoring a church. There are so many different ways it could work itself out. But it wasn't until I started to try that I really began to define what I'm not and got a better feel for what I am. And so this morning, you might say, I don't know what my gift is. And I want you to know the best advice I can give you is be willing to start attempting to do the work of the Lord. And you will find some stuff is like, oh, this is such a chore. Hey, that ain't your gift. But you maybe never knew until you gave it a shot. And the very thing that you might feel like is such a chore... Somebody else with a gift that fits that, once they step into that, it's like, this is wonderful. But you'll never really know if you don't start trying, if you don't start working it out. And you can trust that a God who is good and a God who is faithful, a God who loves us and a God who knows our hearts, is not going to be disappointed with you because you tried something and it wasn't really where you're supposed to be. God wasn't frustrated with Joplin Emerson because I tried to work with the youth group. I needed that experience. It helped me learn where the office in the church that I really just don't fit. That's not me. Doesn't mean I'm not called to preach. Doesn't mean that I heard God wrong in this action of what I desire to do. That's just not the area it's supposed to work at. This morning, I want to say to the man or woman here that's lost, I haven't preached much about your soul. But I know that in an atmosphere like this, I know that with the worship that we have, it's very possible that God Himself is speaking to you about where you stand with God. This morning, if you came in this building and you're lost, You need to understand the one primary purpose of everything that I taught, evangelism, the church being the church, everything that I talked about, it's ultimately doing what Jesus did. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. That's ultimately what we're trying to do is build the kingdom. This morning, if you're here, and God has found a way through a sermon like this to talk to you about your soul, Make no mistake about it. God's trying to save you. God wants to rescue you. And if you're willing to turn this morning from your sin, say, God, I abandon my way, I abandon my my thoughts and what I want to do in life, and I acknowledge, God, that you are God, 
and that I need to be saved and I'm willing to turn and I'm willing to follow you with all of my heart if you will save me. You need to know that if that's you this morning, God is here in this building to save your soul. And in a moment at the invitation, I'm going to encourage you, if that's you, to respond to God. We have altars at the front of our church. We just believe in giving you the opportunity to respond to God when God speaks. Imagine there's probably some Christians that are saved this morning that are just going to want to use the altar and say, God, help me to develop my gift. God, help me to see how it can be used. God, help me to have a proper understanding of where I fit within your body because you've given me a place to belong. And as they come, I want to encourage you to come. Lord, I pray that you move all across this room. We thank you, God, for the gifts. We thank you, God, that you desire to use us. We thank you, God, that when you saved us, you empowered us, God. Lord, you have called us into your work. You have called us to make a difference in the kingdom. And we pray, God, you finish what you started in this room this morning. Thank you.